We have a lot of ground to cover. This is the longest psalm we have studied up to this point. I knew this was coming. I thought, man, how are we going to do it? But we're going to do it. We're going to get through Psalm 18. Well, we could take multiple weeks to unpack Psalm 18, but we're going to do it in the next few minutes right here. Uh, we're going to unpack 50 verses that are going to have something to say to you and to me, and it might give parents in the room great leverage over their kids for the rest of their days. So let's jump in. Now, a few things we want to note. A few things we want to note before we like before we walk verse by verse. As we jump in, I want to note a few key things about this psalm that I just want to place as context before we go verse by verse, just walking through uh, this long song of David. The first is this: we know that there are headings on these psalms. Uh, up to this point, this is a psalm of David. This was sung at this time. But we noted that these are from tradition. These are not actually inspired. They're not in the original text of, in the book of Psalms. But when we come to Psalm 18, we find something interesting. I want you to see the heading of Psalm 18, that italicized that portion of the Bible, Psalm 18. And then I want you to see where else it shows up. To note the heading, Psalm 18 heading, for the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said. And then we jump into verse 1. For the first time, that heading is actually repeated in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said. That's verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 in 2 Samuel 22. And in 2 Samuel 22, you have near verbatim the repetition of this psalm. So Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22 are nearly identical. That tells you this is a very important song of David. It also tells us, just interestingly, that this is a moment where we find the heading of the psalm is inspired. We know for sure by inspiration this is a psalm of David. Not just by tradition, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here we are with a psalm of David. Just an interesting tidbit. Now, Psalm 18 is a very influential psalm. It actually gets quoted later in the Old Testament. So hundreds of years later, the prophet Habakkuk picks up on this psalm as he describes one of the greatest statements of faith in the Old Testament. He, notice this. Psalm 18.33. We'll get here. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. That's a, really a declaration of confidence that God will be with me and I will walk through the most risky of situations. Well, the prophet Habakkuk when seeing life falling apart, he picks up on those words to declare his trust that God is with him no matter what happens. Habakkuk 3, 19, right near the end of the book of Habakkuk, he quotes from Psalm 18:33, The Sovereign Lord is my strength, and here he is. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk pulls from this most influential psalm, Psalm 18. Again, if you just go just, just later in Israel's history in the Proverbs, these wise sayings that were recorded over centuries in Israel, one proverb writer picks up on Psalm 18 and records it as a proverb. 
So notice this, Psalm 1830, the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The proverb writer picks up on Psalm 18. This is an influential psalm. But probably the most substantial quoting of Psalm 18 actually comes from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, wants to declare and demonstrate that through Jesus, all people, particularly the Gentiles, those non-Jews, those Gentiles will one day sing praises to God. All the nations, the Gentiles, will sing praises to God. This will all happen through Jesus. To make that point, to make the point that what is happening Today, in this room, us Gentiles would be singing praise to God through Jesus to make his point that that would happen one day through Christ. Well, Paul will quote from Psalm 18. Take a look at this. Romans 15, verse 8 through 9. It's all right. I have a feeling the slide person was so captivated with my sermon. They forgot they were the slide person. Ethan. Here we go. Romans 15, verse 8 through 9. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs would be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, here he quotes from Psalm 18. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Go one slide back if you could. That last quotation comes from Psalm 1849. Therefore, I praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. There it is. Paul sees Jesus as the fulfillment of all that David was singing about in Psalm 18. And that Jesus, fulfilling the promise of Psalm 18, is the one who brings all people together from every walk of life through Christ to sing praises to, to, to God the Father. Psalm 18 is a real important psalm. In terms of the kind of psalm, it gets categorized as a royal psalm. This becomes important because it is so linked to Jesus. You see, at the end of this psalm, David makes sure to note that this is really about God's love for him, David, and everyone that will sit on David's throne. Take a look at how the whole psalm ends this way. It ends Psalm 1850. The Lord gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. So the context of this prayer for help and the ultimate promise and fulfillment of the victory God gives his people comes through this deep relationship between David, the anointed king, and God the Father. But here's the thing we know. David sinned. And David never ruled the nations. And David died. The great enemy, death, it finally got David. David died, he was buried, and his body decayed. But this psalm is ultimately not the song of David. This royal psalm gets fulfilled in the perfect king, Jesus. It's why Paul will pick up on this psalm to, make a, make, to tell us something about what we get in Jesus. This thing is about Jesus. The whole psalm is about Jesus. This isn't just my interpretation. It's not just Paul's interpretation. 
Some of the great heroes of the faith over the last several centuries have picked up on this very thing. The great reformer John Calvin, he actually thought it would be a good thing if Christians would read Psalm 18 every day. And then in his commentary on Psalm 18, he ends this section on Psalm 18 this way. Here's what John Calvin, that great reformer, said. Uh, go, uh, let's go with the Calvin quote, and then I'm coming back. There you go. In conclusion, we shall then only duly profit in the study of this psalm when we are led by the contemplation of the shadow and the type to Christ, who is the substance. Everything we see in Psalm 18 is a shadow of the greater reality. And the substance of that reality, John Calvin says, is Jesus. This psalm gets us to Jesus. So let me summarize it this way. Go one slide back. Here it is. Here's my summary on it before we jump in to read through the whole thing. Psalm 18 looks forward to the perfect king who can sing of perfect obedience, ultimate victory over every enemy, and declare his rule over every nation. This perfect king is Jesus. Psalm 18 points to Jesus. That's the context. That kind of sets the stage for us. So here we go. A tour de force. 50 verses to a very long song. Here it is. Psalm 18. If you have a Bible, you might want to follow along. Maybe you're an auditory learner. Come along as well. We'll be just breaking the psalm up. And what we're going to do today, uh, unlike we sometimes do, we're actually going to just break it up as we go. So we'll, we'll pick up a few verses, make some comments, and then we'll drop into the next set of verses, make some comments, and see how David transitions all along the way. And what you and I are going to find here in just about 15 minutes is this psalm is going to give you parents some real amazing leverage. And for everyone else, there'll be some application as well. Here we go. We're going to pick up verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2, we just launch in. David begins, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So right out of the gate, verses 1 through 2, this thing launches in the context of love. This is the first time David has ever started one of his songs this way. I love you, Lord. The other thing that we want to make note is this is, at this point, at this point in the book of Psalms, we've never seen this many designations for God, this many names for God, concentrated in this few of verses. David lists so many things he sees God as in his life. Rock, shield, horn, salvation, stronghold, fortress, deliverer. All in the context of love. David loves God and he knows, knows God loves him. Here's the thing, though. When you and I love God and we know God loves us, that doesn't mean we get to live in the fantasy land of unicorns and rainbows. Life is still very difficult. And for David, same thing. Like, just because he loved God and God's his rock and deliver doesn't mean there's no problems. So immediately he transitions. Verse 3 through 6. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. 
From his temple he heard my voice, my cry came before him into his ears. So right here, you see the significance, the weight of the trouble David faces. This isn't like he just got annoyed with a co-worker or a subordinate. Death, twice mentions death, once grave. Ultimately, David is facing a great threat. Now, remember, this always points us to the perfect king. You know what's going to happen to Jesus, the perfect king. He will face death. He will face the ultimate threat of the grave. So just keep this in mind, that as David cries out, this is the, the weight of the threat, the seriousness of the threat. Don't forget Jesus ultimately will face it in a way no other human ever has. So what happens when, when life gets really hard and you call on God in the midst of some very serious trouble? Well, God will show up. Now get ready for how God shows up. Here it is, verse 7 through 15. The earth trembled. And it quaked. The foundations of the mountains, they shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Bla burning coals blazed out of it. He departed the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed. The foundations of the earth lay bare at the re your rebuke, Lord. At the blast of, of breath from your nostrils. There is significant imagery right here. What theologians will call this is a theophany. When God shows up in the sinful world, among sinful people, this holy God coming into contact with the sinful world, in this context, God, holy God, coming in, appearing among the enemies of David, the way David wants to express this is in very figurative language. He wants to show just how significant it is for a holy God to show up and confront sinful, a sinful world. It's nothing short of just the foundations of the earth being shaken. Now, you do remember this one moment maybe in the biblical story where we see some of the same imagery. Thunder, lightning, clouds. Do you remember when Israel... They go through the Exodus. They, are, they escape Egypt. They go into the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai. And God comes to the people in a way He never has come before. And what happens around that mountain and there on top where Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments? Thunder, lightning, bolts. This is the significant moment where God shows up. Now there are a lot of ways to define theophany. But man, in studying for this sermon, I came across one scholar I had not ever read. I had not read this guy, and he had a definition for theophany. What David's doing here to give imagery to the appearing of God, God showing up, here's how he described the theophany. I loved it. I had to share it. Here's what he writes. Here, Psalm 18, the approach of God into the profane world of human existence is described with all its fearsome effects. The awesome power and majesty of the divine glory entering the human world is not business as usual. God's 
holy otherness places sinful humanity under threat and even the created order suffers by direct exposure to His presence. The created world cannot contain the Creator. And its usual laws and order are stretched to the breaking point by this divine intrusion. When God shows up, things tremble. Things shake. He is holy and other. And so David sees this as he's cried out to God. God is showing up and he's confronting the enemies. Now, probably the most, at least one of the most holy moments in human history is that moment where Jesus dies on the cross. When the holy God the Son takes on the wrath of God the Father to pay the sins of His people, this is a holy moment. Interestingly, when Matthew writes to describe that holy moment, the same kind of holy moment we're talking about when God invades the world to confront David's enemies, and there's this theophany, this description of God coming into the world, well, this is a moment when Jesus dies on the cross. We have another moment of God's intrusion in the world, unlike anything humans had ever seen. Check out how Matthew describes that event. Matthew 27, 50-52. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. The tombs broke open. When God shows up, significant things and sometimes you just need to use figurative language to describe how significant that event is. So what happens when God shows up? Well, there's deliverance. There's deliverance. Like There is salvation that emerges when God shows up. So we're going to pick up verse 16 through 19. Look at this. This is God delivering uh, His anointed one. He reached down, verse 16, he reached down from on high, took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, there is no doubt David was saved in that moment. David was saved from his enemy. But you know the great enemy, death, finally took David. It did. Jesus sings this part in a way no other humans ever sang it. Because Jesus did ultimately, by the power of the Father and the Spirit, defeat death. Interestingly, I love this. He brought him into a spacious place. Jesus, this is Jesus singing these words. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You remember how, remember back in Luke, when Jesus is baptized, what the Father says over the Son he declares his love and his delight in the Son. There is victory for the anointed one. David, he had it temporarily. Jesus, for all eternity, forever and ever. So David then transitions here after declaring this great deliverance. He transitions to really explore the relationship between the king and, and God, this, the Lord God of Israel. Check it out. Verse 20 through 24, just exploring the relationship between king and Lord. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Hands he has rewarded me. Verse 21. I have kept the ways of the Lord. I'm not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I've not turned away from any of his decrees. I've been blameless before him. I've kept myself from sin. 
The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. David here, it, sound, it sounds like David here is declaring perfection. But as we've seen in the previous two Psalms, this is David's way of declaring that he actually trusts God in a way that the, his enemies do not. Now what's so interesting is, remember, in the end, the substance of the psalm is Jesus. And do you know the one human that it could actually sing these words with no sense of figurative language? It's Jesus that could, have, could say, I have kept myself from sin. You see, David here is trying to get across in the song his trust in God. A trust that his enemies don't have. And so he has all kinds of ways of describing that. But the perfect king can sing each one of these lines perfectly. Love that. So what happens when you're in this relationship with God? David continues to explore that relationship because there's safety. There's ultimately safety in this relationship. Check out verse 25. We're going to draw all the way down to 36. Listen to this. And then we're going to just pick out, after we're done, there's just this one verse. I just want to make sure we see how Jesus himself echoed this very verse. Here we go. Verse 25. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. Well, to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against the truth. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? Who is the rock except for God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving, you make your saving help my shield. Your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. So much in these verses. We could have had a whole Sunday morning with these verses. These are verses you can pray. Like, just pick up these verses in the midst of trouble or struggle and pray these verses. And what great, like, there are some great lines in here. Like, like, these are lines you could just put on, like, inspirational cards or post them up on Instagram. For your help, I can advance against the truth. With my God, I can scale a wall. Man, that's just, this is good stuff there. Just inspirational stuff. But there's this thing here, David says, that David can say but not yet live into, but the perfect king can. David here in the song declares to God that his way is perfect. But you know David didn't think God's way was perfect all the time. If you know the life of David, there's this moment where David is out, he just he's hanging out on the roof and he looks down and he sees another woman hanging out on the roof. And this woman doesn't have a lot on, and he's just really excited about this woman that doesn't have a lot on. He happens to be the wife of one of his well known like one of his best soldiers. But David could care less. He takes her. And then eventually we'll have the husband killed. David did not think that God's way was always perfect. There were times where David failed in this way. But the perfect king, when he faced the greatest danger he'd ever faced, he, he took 
He took verse 30. He lived into it. I just want you to see this. Who can pray that? Your way is perfect. It's only the perfect king that ever prayed that perfectly. Take, take a look. What you see? So, Psalm 18, verse 30. For you, as, as for you, God, his way is perfect. Don't you see? Do you see? Remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he went to the cross? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus lives in to this in a way no other human has. When facing death, Jesus says, His way is perfect, and I'm going to follow His way. I will move by the will of my Father. And it led Him to a cross. Man. So we end, we end, David ends here, the psalm, with one big, like, description of victory. So here you go. We're going to finish it up, verse 37 through 50. This is all about victory coming to the anointed one. Here it is, verse 37. I pursued my enemies, and I overtook them. I did not turn back until they were destroyed. I crushed them so they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was none to save them to the Lord. But he did not answer. I beat them as fine as wind-blown dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. You've delivered me from the attack, the attacks of the people. You had made me the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from, your, from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies, who exalted me above my foes, from a violent man who rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. Who's ever seen a victory like that? Jesus. And Jesus alone. Here's the cool thing. You and I, we're not going to see victories like that in this world. You're just not. You take down one enemy, they're going to be another one. Just guaranteed. But with Jesus, you get the whole victory with no footnote, no caveat, no exception. If you're connected to the king, the perfect king, that's your prayer. That's your declaration. You want to know what we might be singing a hundred years from now? Those are good words we could be singing. That with Christ, we have that victory. That's Psalm 18. Not too bad, right? Yeah. Like, could have gone, could have been worse, right? Yeah. I mean, I had enough material. We could have been here till noon. So let's make some application. Let's just get this on the ground. And then, parents, I'm coming for you. Just give me a second. Slide person, do not click next step until I've really set it up. Here we go. First point, got two things on the application side of this. Like, where in the world does this hit you and me in real life? I think this is one of them. It's going to sound theological, but man, I think we need to hear it and feel it. I think Psalm 18 highlights the holiness of God. It highlights God's otherness, His holiness, 
his sinlessness. And, and, he, and it highlights it in a way we've not seen yet in the book of Psalms. Here's what one commentator says. A, a, a scholar pastor says it this way. And man, he just said it in a way I felt like i got to just bring it to you. He said this, I think many of us today have real difficulty imagining the presence of God in such earth-shaking, awe-inspiring terms. In many contemporary congregations, God through Jesus has become a familiar friend rather than a holy God. While I do think it is important to understand that God is our helper and friend, I also think something essential is lost when we never experience the shock of God's holy presence. God, of course, a friend who loves and comforts us, but he's also the holy God who knocks our socks off, takes us to our very foundations. We need to experience God as both, as both if we are to keep our faith in the right perspective. Let me quickly give you an example of how this might feel, okay, just how it might feel. I'm going, I'm going to go back to my teenage years. Just come with me, I promise, very quick. Maybe you had this experience too. But I remember being a teenage boy. There were some really pretty girls in high school. Really pretty girls. That did not go to my high school, so don't bring that up. I'm talking about the girls in my high school. We can go back to middle school, even in the middle school context. And you know, as a young man, you have your hormones are going, and you see these pretty girls. And do you remember what it felt like to come into the presence of one of those really popular, almost flawless girls? Every flaw you thought you had on your body. I remember, if I had a pimple, in that moment, when that girl stood in front of me, she may not have known I was in front of her, but the moment I was, she was in front of me, do you know the only thing I thought she saw? That pimple. That is what I think we need to understand about being in the presence of Holy God. When we come in the presence of that kind of holiness, it exposes so much darkness. But we get so familiar and so easy, we don't even think about it. So I just want to recapture some of those teenage years. I think that's maybe the closest of how we understand and what it feels like to come into the presence of something beautiful and perfect. Okay? I just think Psalm 18 instructs us in that way. How in the world do you feel that? Honestly, I don't got a good answer. I have thought about this for years. The best thing I think you and I can do is read Scripture, yes, but just pray, God, help me see your holiness. And, like, it's on you. Like, you help me see that. Because I think we need to feel the pimple. Okay. Second thing, it's this. I think when we, are, we need to understand that when we're connected to King Jesus, you're safe in his victory and protection. Now, I know that sounds a bit spiritual. I get it. But I think we really need to have this kind of perspective. That, like, when you have Jesus... You have his victory. Now, now I'm not just like making this up. Like I just didn't come up with this out of the air. The Apostle Paul picks up on this. You remember Romans 8, one of the best chapters in the New Testament, I think. One of the most hope-filled chapters. Near the end of Romans 8, he writes this. Now, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through, whom, through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any power, height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you get Christ Jesus our Lord, the victor of Psalm 18, you get all the victory thrown in and there's nothing that's going to separate you. Which means that on a real basic level, 
Those things that are tough in everyday life, the challenges that you face, I mean the real ones, like you're annoyed with this person, this person's frustrating you, you're at your wit's end, you're about to give up, you don't know how you're going to take your next step. I mean, literally, just think of all the basic life things that frustrate us and get in the way. I think we need something to help train us that, man, I am more than a conqueror. And with Jesus, I can go to work today even when it stinks. Like, I need to be able to do that. Like, that's what victory looks like. Like, that's what, like, I'm going to go, I'm not quitting my job. I'm going to just, I'm going to keep doing this stinky job. Because I need the money to pay the bills because I have a family. Like, just, like, that's the victory. And I'm not going to lash out at anyone. I'm not going to gossip. Like, that's victory. Okay. Like, how do we train to do that? To teach ourselves, we are more than conquerors. And I'm going to get through this because Jesus is with me. So here's where I got creative. It's bordering on cheesy, like real cheesy, like so much so I may, I almost didn't bring it. But then I thought, nope, I'm doing it. And for you parents, yes, what you're about to hear is something you can use to tell your kid that what I'm about to tell you is biblical. And if they don't, they're in danger of the fires of hell. I set it up, set it up. Here we go. Boom. Make your bed every morning and say to yourself, I conquered this. And now I'm going to conquer whatever else happens with Jesus by my side. You see that? So the funny side of this, now you better tell your kid, you better make your bed because the preacher said it's biblical and you're going to hell if you don't. Like that's the funny part, right? Yeah. But the serious part is, Find something in your day that you can do at the start of the day that you can conquer as a way of just being able to just speak to yourself. I conquered it. And I just think making your bed's one great thing to conquer. For some of you, I'm not mentioning names, you just need to brush your teeth. You just need to brush your teeth. And you can say, I conquered that. But whatever it is, because I know some of you, like your spouse gets up early and then you get up later and they make the bed and you're like, I can't do that. Just don't make, don't get legalistic on this, but do something at the start of every day and then say, I conquered that. And because I conquered that, I'm guaranteed that whatever else comes in my day, I know I can conquer it too because Jesus is at my side. And don't ever forget he's the perfect king that's going to bring ultimate victory. But for you and me, that means getting through today. So today. I made our bed. And I said that I'd made that bed. I conquered this. And whatever else today brings, I will conquer with Jesus by my side. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It brings us understanding and wisdom we do not have by ourselves. So now go with us in our day as we proclaim that we know we have victory through Jesus. We need your help. And so help us in a way that is significant for everyday life as we look to Christ, the perfect King, the one who has destroyed every enemy and in the end will destroy death forever and ever, and that we get to be a part of that. We pray that through Him who is Victor, Jesus. And together we say, Amen.